Well, good morning. set up here for a sec. So it was the late 80s, and I'm in high school, in the, a student in the Syrian Arab Republic. And um, I said something to a fellow student to the effect that um, the Quran is wrong about what Jesus, who Jesus is, and the Bible is true. <laughs> and... Um, all of, a see, all of a sudden, I see him make a dash to this other student, and then that other student pulls a knife and comes running at me. So, of course, fly, fight and flight took effect, and I went running inside to take refuge with, a, with a, a teacher. Fast forward another four or five years, and I'm a student in a biology class in an American university. And the biology professor singles out Christians and um, asking to the effect, do you believe the Bible? Do you believe this? And I looked back, and eventually I was the only one raising my hand saying, yes, I, I do believe the Bible is true. The last question where everybody took their hands down was, do you believe the Genesis account and the, and the creation record? And when I kept my hand up, he went to extoriate me for about four or five minutes, telling me that I am this uh, ignorant fund fundamentalist, that I'm stupid. Um, my response to him at that time was, listen, I grew up with people who wanted to cut my head off. I'm not afraid of you. <laughs> but, but to be honest, to be honest, the ridicule and the demonization that that professor did, did a greater damage to mute my witness for Christ than, than being chased by a knife. Because I think physical courage is greater than moral courage. Um, people sometimes ask me, um, did I experience culture shock when I came to the US? And I always say that after being here for 31 years, the culture shock that I experienced from Syria of 1991 to America of 1991 was nothing compared to the culture shock that I experienced between America of 1991 to America of 2020. But that is nothing compared to the culture shock that I experienced probably just like all of you between America of 2020 and America of 2022. So um, why, do, why do I say all of that? Is to say it was so strange seeing all of that happen over the last 31 years since I've been in the US. I remember talking with a progressive Christian about 30 years ago, and at that time they didn't call themselves progressive Christians, they just called themselves Christians. But I remember talking with this fellow student who was telling me that I am so wrong about how I feel about the normalization of homosexuality. And this is, this is a student who went with me to Intervarsity Christian Fellowship. This person professed to be a Christian. This person professed to be a believer. And he was like, how are they bothering you? Just let them be. And I said, the Bible says it's wrong. I'm, I, I'm not saying, I don't hate them, I'm, but I'm saying what they're doing is a sin. And of course, at that time, he would not 
have any of it. I mean, we went from having saying you need to have compassion on them so that they can go and visit their partners to the hospital. Remember that? That's all they wanted. Now, if you don't bake a cake for a gay wedding, now you're a national villain. Um, so uh, about a few years ago, actually maybe it's been more than that, a Canadian pastor was tried and convicted for six months in jail. A Canadian pastor. This is not Iran. This is North America. He was convicted for six months in jail for preaching from Romans chapter 1 and, and having it on, on, on the air. So, but this is not a polemic against the secular humanists and the postmodernists who are driving Western culture off the cliff. Um, the, the point of this, and we should not expect them to do anything otherwise. They, they don't have the Holy Spirit. Um, but the problem is that uh, this has not, the pressure has not been solely from outside the church. I would make a case that the pressure from inside the church has been more corrosive to the church. Amen. And, and we have, what we have seen is that um, all these ideas that Pastor David just talked about, about moral relativism, no absolute truth. These things have infiltrated the church, and the church is starting to, and instead of being salt and light in the, in the world, it has become corrupted itself, and it has become affected by, by these ideas. Because the problem is there is a highly organized, well-articulated, well-financed movement that seeks to redefine Christianity. Um, uh, so anyone, just like with that professor 30 years ago who, who was okay with Christians who wanted to practice Christianity and go to church, but he was not okay with Christians who believed the Bible was true, and especially the Genesis, uh, Genesis account. So, so this morning, I figured now that you're all uplifted and edified, we can end right here. <laughs> no. Obviously, we have two choices. We can all become preppers and just hide. I think that's what Pastor David wanted me to talk about, is just how to be a prepper and hide. <laughs> this morning, what I want to talk to you about is that there's the three things that, that, that we are called to as, as the church. One is we are commanded to steward the gospel and earnestly contend for the faith. Uh, in the book of Jude... Verses 3 and 4, it says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once and for all delivered to the saints. That is our job as believers. We need to steward the gospel. We need to stand firm. We need to contend for what is true. The title of the conference, Live Not By Lies. We cannot let lies affect our witness. So, and the second thing that I would like to talk about is how we are called to be ambassadors for Christ. How to lovingly implore people to be reconciled to God. And then the third thing is we are commissioned to be witnesses, passionately making disciples. So steward the gospel, be ambassador, and uh, be a witness. Uh, Jesus said um, in, in John chapter 14, verses 18 and 19, it says, 
If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So we are not of this world. We should not expect the world to like what we have to say. But yet, if we know we are speaking the truth, we need, we need to give people the, the, the right message. We cannot compromise the truth. Um, so how do we, how do we uh, steward the gospel? Well, first, we need to know what the gospel is. The problem is um, uh, the, 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 I, what the word gospel is being used now is not the, the true gospel. There is false gospels that are being preached out there. Um, so the gospel is not about being relevant, is not about addressing felt need, is not about winning converts to our religion. It is not about virtually, virtue signaling to the people, uh, to the world about how nice we are and how loving we are. Um, uh, and definitely it is not about going to denominational conventions and boasting about how many pastors we trained and how many churches we planted. If you've heard that message, you'll know who I'm referring to. Here is what the Bible says. The, the gospel says, uh, what, the, what uh, the apostle Peter says in um, Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, says, um, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation. So what happens when we don't preach the gospel? We don't preach the right gospel? It does not have the power to salvation. We are preaching a false gospel leads people to hell. That's it. That's really the bottom line. Um, uh, in Second uh, in Corinthians chapter 11. In verses 3 and 4, it says, But I fear that lest somehow as the serpent de deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, different gospel, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. What the Apostle Paul is saying here is the church has, in, in Corinth had become so gullible that if somebody preaches a different gospel, they accept it. Why? Because they did not know what the true gospel is. In Galatians chapter 1, he said, but even if, if we or an angel from heaven preaching any other gospel to you other than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Let him be anathema. Let him be eternally condemned to hell. That's how serious the gospel is. And then he repeats it again in verse 9. He says, as we have said before, I say now again, if anyone preaches any other gospel than what we have, you have received, let him be accursed. So, so what is the gospel that we receive? It is that Jesus died according to scripture, that he was buried and rose again on the third day according to scripture. In fulfillment of prophecies, Jesus is the only one who can save us. Salvation is by no other name. 
In, in Acts chapter 2, verses 38, the apostle Peter told the people in Jerusalem, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So to you and me, that might sound so simple. Of course it is. But if you are listening now to what even pastors are saying, what people who use the word Christian, even evangelicals, the word evangelical now is falling on hard time. And I will show you some studies. Uh, Pastor David uh, read that verse, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. That word falling away is apostasia, apostasy. People are going to become apostates. And I submit to you, most of who claim to be Christian and evangelicals right now in America, 2022, October 2022, are apostates. They don't believe in scripture. They don't believe in the deity of Christ. They don't believe in the virgin birth. They don't believe in the Trinity. That is not our historic Christian faith that has been passed down to us for 2,000 years. When people sometimes ask me, um, were you a Muslim? You became a Christian? Say, no, my family's been a Christian in the Middle East for 1,500 years. 1,500 years, Christians in the Middle East have endured persecution. This may be coming to you as a surprise, but you have no idea how blessed the church has been here for the past 200 years. This has not, this is... This is unusual in the history of the church of how blessed we have been here. And we should not take that blessing for granted. Um, George Barna, who leads the Cultural Resource Center at Arizona Christian University, does a survey um, every, every year. It's called the American Worldview Inventory. Last uh, month, actually about in August, here is, this is a, a, an exact quote from, from that survey. It says, amazingly, given the foundation of evangelicalism, three out of every 10 evangelical pastors, 30% do not believe that their salvation is based on having confessed their sin and accepted Jesus Christ. Evangelicals are saying this. So, but this is not, not limited to, um, to churches, this is not limited to seminaries. This is not limited to denominational assemblies, not limited to, to Christian schools, colleges, universities, Christian publishers, books, magazines, parachurch organization. The entire Christian community is in a stupor over the past 10 years, it seems like, or even longer than that. Um, so uh, I'm going to highlight some deviations here very quickly that are not the gospel. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Evangelicals, 56% now, disagree with that statement. 56, how is that possible? How can you be an evangelical and not agree with that statement? Um, uh, this is from the State of Theology. You can go to thestateoftheology.com if you'd like to see more on that research. So the, 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 effect, the, uh, the philosophical uh, uh, framework undergirding this attack on the church from the inside that had infiltrated the church is coming from two places. Pastor David talked about secular humanism, which rejects 
um, the revelation rejects the Bible and, and elevates reason. It elevates logic. Um, it only believes in empirical evidence, right? You know, you hear people say, follow the science, which is the most unscientific statement you could say is follow the science. Um, there was a, 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 a physicist in the 20th century said, science is the belief in the ignorance of experts. Science is never settled, so follow the science is, is unscientific. But there, the Humanist Manifesto, here's what it says. It says, humanism is a progressive philosophy of life that without supernaturalism, see, supernaturalism is excluded, miracles, the Bible, revelation. Uh, uh, but it, what does it affirm? It affirms our ability and responsibility See, they, they think they're being good. You're evil for believing this. You're being demonized. So it says, um, we affirm our ability and our responsibility to lead ethical life of personal fulfillment and aspire to the greater good of humanity, meaning apart from the Bible, apart from Christianity, apart from God. We can do it ourselves. Again, Tower of Babel. Now, the second attack that is coming is from postmodernism. You want to, anytime you hear people say there is no absolute truth, everything's relative, the redefinition of language, every time people use words in a way that are not proper, not in the definition, and what is accepted, that is postmodernism. You want to see how postmodernism infiltrated the church? Among evangelical pastors, 39%. I know I keep saying that, but again, this is evangelicals. We're not talking about the broader Christian community. Evangelicals, 39% contend there is no absolute truth. So 38% maintain that human life is, only 38% maintain that human life is sacred. So we're living in a lot of land. Um, The state of theology survey when it asks people if they agree with this statement, religious belief is a matter of personal opinion. It is not about objective truth. In 2022, 30% of evangelical agreed. This is up from 32% in 2018. So, so the impact um, to the, on the church has been, has been catastrophic, has been very coercive because people are espousing things from the pulpit claiming to be Christians, but they are false teachers, they are heretics, and they're apostates. There is no other way to say that. Your job now is not only to tell the difference between truth and lies. Your job is to tell the difference between truth and 99% truth. You need to be very discerning. Your spiritual ears need to be tuned. Um, so, so that's, that's the attack that has been coming on the church, that while modernism and, and secular humanism elevated reason over revelation, postmodernism is placing feelings over re- revelations. So when people talk about lived experiences, when people talk about felt needs, when the church is trying to be relevant, guess what? That's the church is trying to be postmodern and trying to assimilate into the culture as opposed to being a light into the culture. They're dimming the light instead of turning it up. So, so what is the byproduct of both secular humanism and modernism on the church is, again, liberalism 
And again, like Pastor David said, when we say liberalism, we're not talking about the political ideology liberalism. We're talking about the thinking that there is no absolute truth, there is no true north, um, and uh, uh, scripture is out the window. The very low view of scripture. The Bible is not the authoritative, trustworthy. Now, I can get to choose and pick what is scripture and what not a scripture. There is actually, there are views that this is really not the word of God until you read it and assimilate it and understand it. Then it becomes the word of God. So the word of God is your understanding of it. Again, postmodernism. Um, uh, low view of scripture, um, the state of theology, the service uh, that calls the state of theology, when asked people, the Bible, like all sacred writings, contain helpful accounts of ancient myth, but not literally true. In the U.S., 53% agreed. See, we, no, we can no longer go to someone and say, look, the Bible says you're a sinner. You need to repent of your sin. Jesus is the only way. Uh, but they're going to say to you, well, I don't believe the Bible. I hate the Bible. I hate God, right? And, and that, that is the thinking that is being very pervasive right now. Low view of historic Christian faith and tradition. The virgin birth out the window. The deity of Christ, out the window. Salvation by no other name, out the window. Bodily resurrection, traditional marriage, all of those are under persistent and consistent attacks. Um, but what is being elevated is man's ability. I heard a pastor, a pastorette, I should say, a female pastor, oxymoron, by the way, not cannot be. She said, Jesus did not come to die for your, for your sin. Jesus died to be a good example for you. And she's preaching that from, from a pulpit, claiming to be the word of God. Um, everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. U.S. adults, 71% agree, agreed. But here is what is more depressing. Evangelical, 65% agreed. So, some of the heresies... The social gospel. The social gospel is really a synthesis of three things. Liberation theology, feminism, and neo-Marxist ideology. By liberation theology, I mean the belief that God is the God of the oppressed. God only cares about the poor. So if you're rich, you're a sinner. But if you're poor, you're going to heaven. God loves poor people more. God is, is literally present in the suffering of, of others. And that's why Fidel Castro and Che Guevara are idealized, are saviors. They are representative of Christ because they're saving the poor. Um, I don't know. This may step on your toes if you liked Rich Mullins in the 90s. But listen what Rich Mullins said. Christianity is not about building an absolute secure little niche in the world where you can live with your perfect little wife and your perfect little children in a beautiful little house where you have no gays or minority group anywhere near you. Okay, so far so good, maybe. But here's where he goes wrong and where he goes literally liberation theology. Christianity is about learning to love like Jesus loved and Jesus loved the poor. What is he really saying? God loves the poor. Jesus loved the poor more. And if you're not poor, you're really not as a good Christian. That's, that's where he's headed, right? Um, feminism is a direct assault on the scripture. 
Feminism says that the Bible, that Christianity perpetuated the oppressive patriarchy that demonizes women. Christianity subjugates women, um, and and you'll find um, many many feminists who are lesbianism is very pervasive in there. Um, but more than that, feminism wants to say that God is that Christianity perpetuates God as male. And if God is male, then male is God. That's uh, one of the very famous um, feminists. Her name was Mary Dolly. But of course, that's absurd. God is a spirit. God is a material. God is not male or female. But yet, God chooses to use his masculine pronoun. There's a difference between masculine and male. God is not male, but God does use masculine pronoun. But she wants to use these words for God, mother, lover, friend. Remember the shack, the book, The Shack? That's, the, that's that idea. Um, so now there are those who claim to be feminists and they claim to affirm scripture, yet they throw Paul out the window. They, Paul is a chauvinist. He, uh, the headship of the family that Paul pr- proclaimed, that's that is um, male chauvinism. That is sexist. They would dismiss male leadership entirely in the, in the church and the home. So, so really, it's, there, is, there is no difference. They all eventually, they talk about egalitarianism, but they really just end up full-blown full feminists. Um, so how do, you, how do you identify the social gospel? Because I said, the social gospel, I said, is a combination of um, uh, uh, liber- liberation theology, um, feminism and neo-Marxist theology. The way you identify it is that everything is a gospel issue now. Racism is a gospel issue. Poverty is a gospel issue. Equality is a gospel issue. Justice is a gospel issue. Women glass ceiling, that's a gospel issue. Handicapped parking spot, that's a gospel issue. Right? It's, but we read what the gospel is. Obviously, God cares for the poor. God cares for injustice. But it's not a gospel issue in the term that they define it. Um, so, so right now, this progressive theology, what is, this progressive Christianity, what it's doing is that it picks and chooses what it wants from these different Christian denominations in order to create this, um, uh, uh, this, this Christianity that appeals to the world. Um, there, one of actually their own progressive Christian said that progressive Christianity is inspired by liberation theology movement and Pentecostal movements alike. That's the progressive Christianity. Now, another thing that, another aberration to the gospel is the just love, right? We're just about love. Now, how do you identify a person who, who believes in the just love, coexist, let's all sing, you know, kumbaya together? when it is worse to judge evil than to do evil, right? To put it another way, it's okay to do evil, but it's not okay to judge evil because now you're, a, you're, a, you're being judgmental. Um, but can you, you know, when they, and when they speak, for example, of Ephesians, speak the truth in love. We are to speak the truth in love. But I, I want to challenge you. Can you really speak the truth without being loving? You can't. Can you be loving without speaking the truth? No. They are two sides of the same coin. So when they talk about really just love, they really are perpetuating deception and lies. 
You cannot have one without the other. Um, uh, if, you, if you want uh, a book that talks about uh, what is driving this, and really the reason why they talk is because they want to normalize homosexuality. They want to normalize all these sexual deviations from that sex is between man and a woman in the bondage of marriage. Anything outside of that is, and Christian, and biblical. There's a good book by Carl Truman which is called The Rise and the Triumph of the Model Self. Cultural amnesia, expressive individualism, and the road to the sexual revolution. It really outlines that. It's a little bit um, thick, but, but it gives you a good idea of how our culture got to this point. Um, the state of theology survey. The Bible's condemnation of homosexual behavior does not apply. 46% of U.S. adults agree. 28% of evangelicals agree. <laughs> Um, gender identity is a matter of choice. 42% of U.S. adults agreed. 37% of evangelicals agreed. But you see, the problem with the sexual revolution today um, is not that people are doing things today that they have not done 100 years ago or 200 or 1,000 years ago. Sodom and Gomorrah, right? People have always done these, these things. The difference today is that they are being normalized and that they are, you're not supposed to shame people for doing it. Um, another pastorette by the name of Nadia Bowles Weber, um, <laughs> this is going to shock you, but I don't say this to shock you. Uh, again, like Pastor David said, the reason why we're saying this is to inform you, to help your spiritual ears to be tuned. Listen to what she said. She said, consumption of pornography should not be shamed. You think that's shocking enough? Listen to what she said next. There is such thing as ethically sourced pornography. Okay? So that just kind of shows you the depravity that is even within the church right now. And how much important for us to know what the scripture says and to speak the truth in love. I won't talk too much about the prosperity gospel. Like, I think all of us, if we've been in the church, in a good church, we've heard a lot about prosperity gospel. But anytime you hear somebody says, declare your faith, release your faith, speak X, Y, and Z over your life, declare, you know, declare this over your life, that, again, is, is, is prosperity gospel, is not the true gospel. Um, the moralistic therapeutic gospel um, uh, this works alongside the just love gospel um, of progressive Christianity, but it brings the motivation behind it. Um, uh, uh, this term, moralistic therapeutic theism, was coined by sociologists Christian Smith and Melina Lundquist in their book Soul Searching. And here is what they say that American Christian teenagers, and actually not just Christian teenagers, but most, Christian teen most teenagers in the U.S. believe, God created the world, but, but he just watches over humanity from afar. He's not engaged. That's where deism comes from. God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other. Um, as taught in the Bible, but also just as most religions teach, the central goal of life is to be happy and feel good about oneself. God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when he's just a genie will come and solve your problem. And God um, and good people go to heaven when they die. 
Again, man is not depraved. Man is not born in sin. Man is fundamentally good. And God's job is just to make us happy. And that's where the motivation for progressive Christianity comes. They want to win people, right? You know, you know how they always talk about being winsome? That's really what they mean. They are preaching this therapeutic gospel, how to be happy, how to be whole, how to sit on the couch and let your psychologist and your counselor solve all your problems so that you don't have any problems in your life. Um, they talk about things like lived experiences, psychological wholeness, right? Fighting your true self, being authentic, right? We, shouldn't, we should be authentic. We shouldn't be hypocrite. But what they are what they are talking about is looking inside yourself because you're good and how to, um, it really is the life from Satan in the garden, you would be like God. Um, new age spirituality, right? Um, astral projection, out of body experiences, uh, contact with extraterrestrial being, yoga, reincarnation, crystal pow powers, Hindu mantra, all of that is, again, what I'm talking about is in the church. I'm not, this, these are not, I'm saying these are things that are outside the church. I'm talking these are inside the church. There is a, there's an evangelist by the name of Kat Kerr. She, every time there's a, she lives in Florida, and every time there's a, a storm in Florida, she brings her uh, like Gandalf cane, and she's going out, and she's like rebuking the storm. That's, that's just new age spirituality. This is unbiblical. This is simony. When, when Simon told the apostle Peter, I'll give you money so you can give me this gift, and, and, he, and he told him, let your money perish with you, is because he thought he could manipulate God, right? And that's what this is, is really manipulating God. Um, the state of theology. Every Christian has no obligation to join a local church. Only 37% agreed. 36% dis strongly disagreed. 19% somewhat disagreed, and 8% were not sure. Where does that idea come from? That comes from New Age spirituality. You can just worship God whatever you want. You, you're, you, are, you are part of God. We're all gods. God is in all of us. God is in everything. So I don't need to be with the body of Christ. Now, I understand when a non-believer thinks that way. The problem is when believers have, have been affected by that kind of thinking. Um, last one is the Kingdom Now gospel. And the Kingdom Now gospel, I think for all of us, it'll be, it will sound so absurd that, of course, we're going to reject it. But the reason why I'm telling you this is, be, is so to help minister to other people. But there are people who believe that God had lost control over the world to Satan in the garden. And since then, he has been reestablished his control, and he does that through his covenant people, and that these covenant people supposed to work in social institutions like the government and laws to bring God's authority under control. Do you think that lie will be used by Antichrist to bring his power back? I mean, that's really what this is. This is, I mean, the, the idea that God lost control is absurd, is ludicrous. Um, God is the creator. He's the maker of heaven and earth. He's infinite, transcendent, eternal God. And he's, um, he did not lose um, control with, of anything. And if, if that's who you think your God is, then your definition of God is skewed. Um, so, so the first thing, like I said, for us to respond as, as believers is to steward the gospel. The second thing is to us to be ambassadors for Christ. So we talked about all of these things.
right? About how terrible things are. What is our response to that? Do we, do we mock it? Do we ridicule it? Do we stay away from it? No. No, our job, we are, have been given the privilege, we have been given an honor, no greater honor, and that is to be an ambassador for Christ. At my ordination, um, my father was part of my ordination, and, and during my ordination, he, t- he tells the story of David Livingston, who was a great missionary in the 19th um, uh, century, and he went to Africa and the places where the British army couldn't go, and then Queen Victoria wanted to bestow on him an ambassador of the British Empire. And he told her, what made you think that I will give up being an ambassador of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords to be an ambassador for Victoria. And that should be our sentiment. That should be our attitude. You, if, if um, someone in high official or somebody was to going to recognize you to be an ambassador for the U.S. or some country, wouldn't that be a great honor to you? You have a greater you have a greater privilege to be an ambassador of the creator of the universe. Shouldn't that encourage you? Shouldn't that bless you to think, I have a responsibility. I have a mission. I need to go live my life. And that starts by you living your life in a way that honors God. Because you know why Christians get deceived by these aberrations, by these deviations from the gospel? Because of a sinner in their life. If you're greedy, don't you think you're going to be more susceptible to the prosperity gospel? If you're prideful, don't you think you're going to be more susceptible to the therapeutic, moralistic deism? Because it makes it all about you. So we have to begin with our life. We need to begin with us living our life in a way that honors God. We need to treat sin seriously in our lives first so that we can be prepared to be ambassadors for Christ, to represent God, to proclaim the truth in love, and to not fear demonization, not fear the attacks, and to do it with joy. Um, so so um, the third thing, so steward the gospel be an ambassador, and the third thing is we are commissioned to be witnesses, passionately making disciples of all nations. That word witnesses in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, in the original language, it's martyr. And this is what this means. Jesus told his disciples, you will be my martyrs in Judea and Samaria, in Jerusalem, Judea, all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So what that tells me is that martyrs are not those who die for the faith. A martyr is mainly a faithful witness. And dying for the faith merely reveals that you are a faithful witness. So this is my question to you this morning. Are you a martyr? If you've ever been put in that situation... And obviously, none of us will know how we'd respond to that situation. But if you've ever been put in a situation where your life would be at risk if you don't deny the gospel, and that time may come. We don't know what, what, what this country is going to hold for us. 
we, we pray for peaceful days. We know that we are, we're not going to go through the tribulation. We know that. But if your life were ever threatened because of your belief for Christ, would you deny Christ? What determines that is what, who you are right now. Right now, are you a martyr? Are you a faithful witness for Christ? And you know how you would know that? When you're not afraid to tell the gospel to your neighbor because of social rejection or because he's going to mock you. If you're afraid of your neighbor mocking you for sharing the gospel with him or her, you are not going to be able to stand before somebody who's going to threaten your life for, for Jesus Christ. But the second thing that we need to understand about, about being a witness is that this is not new. This is not new. Being persecuted for our faith is not new. This is something that, that the church endured for 2,000 years. And um, uh, uh, here, is, here is what uh, Jesus um, told, told the disciples. Um, uh, he said that blessed are you when they persecute you. Um, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when, when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So that's the question that you really have to ask yourself. Where, where are you living? Are you living for the here and now, or are you living for heaven? Are you living for eternity? That is going to be another, another thing that determines how, how you live. And then the third thing, civil disobedience. Like one of the things that was shocking to me during the whole COVID um, situation um, I don't know, maybe we have to believe that. Um, but is that how many pastors said, we have to obey the government. We need to obey the government. In order for us to be good Christians, we need to obey the government. True, if the laws are Christians. If the laws agree with, with the Bible. If, if my choice is between obeying the Bible and obeying the government, guess what? I don't have to be a rebel. I don't like the word rebel because rebel means rebelling against authority. We're not rebelling against authority, but we are, we are obeying the ultimate authority. Our, our, uh, the disciples told the Sanhedrin, they said, we must obey God rather than man. So there may come a time where we have to be civil, civilly disobedient. And it's not because we're, we're rebel, it's not because we're fighting the government, but it's because we're saying, here is what the word of God, the clear teaching of the word of God says this, and we are going to obey God rather than man. Um, so, applications of everything that I said. The first thing is, don't become a heresy hunter. Okay? Our job is not to go and police what people believe. Sometimes people use words and they say things and they don't know what they mean. We have to lovingly ask questions, understand why they're saying what they're saying, understand where they're coming from, and lovingly correct them from the scripture. So this means you need to be a Berean. This means you need to begin and study your Bible and know what your Bible says, so that when, sa when somebody says something that is not scriptural, you can lovingly say, well, 
you say you're a Christian, but here is what the scripture says. What do you think about that? And just lovingly correct them, okay? And then two, like I said earlier, you need to be able to tell the difference between truth and lies, but also between truth and 99% truth, right? Three, we can only be prepared for Christ's second coming when we have trusted him in the work on the cross and his first coming. So if there is any doubt about where your trust is, where your salvation lies, this is the time to correct that right now. Who do you trust for your salvation? Your good works? Because you belong to a wonderful church? That's what you have to work out. Four, you really need to understand Bible prophecy. I know it can be confusing. I know it's hard, but begin somewhere. Um, you have a wonderful Bible teacher here, and, and he had taught you well. But if, if you're not part of this church, um, uh, uh, if you're in part of my church, I think you have a good teacher too. But, um, <laughs> but find, find a good church, a good Bible-believing church. Um, if you want... A good book on that, um, um, Mark Hitchcock just recently released uh, a book called Global Reset, Do Current Event Point to uh, Antichrist and His Worldwide Empire? Um, I think that's a good book that kind of help explain Bible prophecy in terms of current day event. And then five, you need to build resiliency in your life. And here is what I mean by that. If you have a lot of debt, find a way to get rid of it. Don't live under debt. That is going to hamper your ability to be a witness for Christ. Deal thoroughly with sin in your life. Not in a legalistic way. We're not talking, in Calvary Chapel, we always preach grace, right? But, but in, a, in wisdom, don't give into sin. In wisdom, deal with sin in your life. And then three, um, don't let the stuff you own own you. We don't live to be happy. We live to be holy. Um, remember the, st- the statistic that I was telling you about of how, where, it, where evangelicalism is right now? 30% don't believe the Bible, 40% this. If you narrow it to just non-denominational churches like Calvary Chapel, Bible churches, those numbers jump to 90%. So there are still faithful churches. There are still, that should encourage us. God does not leave himself without a witness. You can find a good church if you don't have a good church. Um, But also, you need to shore up your family. Make sure everything in your home honors God. Make sure that you're inculcating Christian value with your children, with your grandchildren, you, especially if you cannot homeschool your children. We, had, we made the decision to, home our school, uh, to homeschool our, our son uh, before he was born. We, were, we wanted to make the sacrifices. Um, uh, my wife quit her job to get ready for that. Um, but if, especially if you cannot homeschool your children, you have a harder battle to make sure that your children continue to keep their Christian values when they, when they go to college. And then um, sixth, have the exit strategy. If you are in a job where being a Christian might be threatened, think of options. I know that's hard to, to consider and think about, but 
I'm not saying go quit your job. I'm saying have an exit. Think about what would you do if we, we did become persecuted here in, um, in the United States. Now, the greatest persecutor in the Bible was Saul. Saul of Tarsus. Um, the, uh, Chuck Swindoll, in his book about the, the Apostle Paul, he said that Saul was more like a terrorist than a fa- faithful follower of Judaism. But by the time he starts, when you, look, you read chapter 9, he starts going into Damascus to persecute Christian. He leaves running away, being persecuted for being a Christian. He goes in to shut down those who are preaching the gospel. He, he, a few days later, he's in there preaching the gospel. And what is more encouraging is that when Jesus appeared to him, and he told him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting, not my church, why are you persecuting my people? No, 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 why are you persecuting me? So, when when the mullah in Iran persecutes an Iranian Christian, they are persecuting Jesus. Jesus take, take our persecution very, very personally. So that should encourage us. That should uplift us. He loves us. We already, Like Pastor David said, we are not destined for wrath. We know we're not going to be here um, during the, the, the tribulation. So, so that should encourage us to stay faithful, to know that he loves us, that he cares for us. Um, but then the other point that I take from the life of Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, is that I wonder when he was standing right there and Stephen was being stoned, did he remember where the first stone hit him? Did he hear him say, Lord, don't hold this sin against him? How did that work in his life? And I say that to say this. We should never hate our persecutors. Love your enemies and do good. Bless and do not curse. Um, because we know that God holds us in his hand. In 2 Corinthians 4, um, uh, chapter 4, and verse 7 and 9. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 to 9, it says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. It's his power, not us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. God has us in your hand. I know um, you guys have been going through the book of Philippians, right, Pastor David? You just finished Philippians. I love that book. And I think that is so relevant to, to what, we're, what we're doing today. If you take nothing out of what I said, take the message of Philippians of how to live a life with joy. So how do we face persecution? Well, chapter 1 tells us we need to be single-minded, focused, right? Um, for me, to live is Christ, and to die is profit, is gain, is better. So we're not afraid of dying, but as long as we're here, our only and single priority is to live for Christ. I looked at that. If you look at the 
origin of the word priority. It does not make sense to say I have priorities. Because once you have more than one priority, what did you do to the number one priority? You diminished it. There is only one priority in my life, and that is to live for Christ. Of course, living for Christ means I should love my wife, I should love my church, I should do good job. But all of those only come from that one single priority in my life. Singly focused on living for Christ. Two, in chapter two of, of, of Philippians, I live with humility. I hope the information that we're giving you today does not make you arrogant. Or make, because what does, what does the Apostle Paul says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians? Knowledge puffs up. It's not about knowledge, but what does love do? Love edifies. And it's not like the, word, the, word, the way the world defines love. We're talking about the self-sacrificial, godly love. So have humility. Let this mind be in you, which was also in the, in the Lord Jesus Christ, who being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Have humility. And chapter number three in Philippians Look for heaven. We don't live for this earth. We live for heaven. That's where our home. This is not escapism. We're not saying, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm done with this. I'm just waiting for the rapture. No, no, no. This is to say that we have hope. We rejoice in hope. Why? Because we know that no matter what happens in here, God has us in his hand. And he got it in, under control. And then chapter 4, live with security of your mind. We should guard our mind. We should guard our heart. And how do we do that? Because in, um, in uh, chapter 4, it says, Finally, brethren, this chapter, verse 8, Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are um, just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Yes, we need to know what's going on in life. We need to know what's happening. We need to understand. We don't live in delusions. We don't live without understanding reality and what is really happening. But at the same time, we don't meditate on these things. We meditate on the word of God. And we need to understand those things from a spiritual perspective. And that's the point of this conference. So we don't live with anxiety be anxious for nothing but everything with prayer and supplications. Let your, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So in conclusion, remember, steward the gospel, earnestly contend for the faith. You are called to be an ambassador for Christ. Lovingly implore people to be reconciled to him. And three, be com you're commissioned to be a witness to passionately make disciples of our nation. God bless you.